It's your Tuesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to have everybody back again for another day. Just kind of sitting here making a podcast, of course, but also waiting for the snow. Um, we'll see if it comes, how much of it comes. I think we're ready for it. I don't want to, you know, I want to badmouth whatever's to come, right? We live here. It's it's winter in Minnesota. We got to embrace all seasons. Just hope it's not one of those storms where we can't really do anything or enjoy it. When it gets hard to get around, that is when it becomes a difficult thing to tackle, but we'll be okay. We'll be all right. We are all prepared for this. We know what to do when it comes to the snow, and I know what to do when it comes to a show. That little rhyme just came to me just now. How about that? A lot of stuff on this show. Um, Ron Hagstrom from the Star Tribune does a great job. Uh, One of the high school sports writers from the Star Tribune was one of the lead writers on a really interesting report on transfers in high school sports in Minnesota, specifically uh, his portion dealt with a lot of boys basketball players. I wanted to ask Ron kind of about where we are with that and what the genesis of that story is. So Ron will join me here in just a few minutes to talk about that. Um, got some Patrick Beverly news at the end of the show. Gophers men's basketball at the end of the show as well. You know, first though, what did I miss? I'm going to try to loosely tie together, not even tie together, but loosely mention three football stories um, in in the first segment here. Um, you know, I mean, we might get to some of these too tomorrow. Andrew Kramer is supposed to join me for Wednesday's Daily Delivery. Maybe we'll get into a couple of these subjects as well. But a few interesting things in the world of football. I think I want to start with Red McCombs, um, Vikings former owner from 1998 to 2005. We learned on Monday that he has passed away at the age of 95 Quite a life lived by Red McCombs. He was a you know had had a stake in the San Antonio Spurs and Denver Nuggets and the NBA for a time, but really came into ownership of the Vikings at a very interesting time in that team's history. 1998. I mean, he comes in and right away they draft Randy Moss. I mean, this is a team that had been good for many years in the 90s. Right? We, we maybe we kind of forget that before. The Vikings drafted Randy Moss. They were still a more or less perennial playoff team. They made the playoffs with Denny Green in 1992, 93, 94, I believe 95, and then 97 also before they drafted Randy Moss. And so here they here they go, and they, they draft Randy Moss. Red McCombs, you know, shouting out Purple Pride, coining that phrase, talking about going to the Super Bowl. And, you know, they, they very well near did it that first year. We all know that it, it came up short, the disappointment of the NFC title game. But right away, Red McCombs endears himself to a fan base that's starved for winning. Um, but it becomes pretty clear at a, at a certain point in his tenure that he is a, probably a better businessman than he is an owner. And, you know, not to say that things necessarily fell apart on the field, but, you know, the Mike Tice coaching era of of the of of Vikings football, you know, a little bit at the end of 2001, then all of 2002, 3, 4, and 5. That was the Red McCombs ownership era, more or less, until the Wilfs bought the team in 2005 and, you know, moved on from from Mike Tice, hired Brad Childress, things like that. Um, the Vikings were not heavily invested in in the uh, the early 2000s, to, to, put, it, uh, to put it mildly. Um, not, uh, not, a lot of, uh, not a lot of great... Uh, players invested in during that time they still of course had Moss for most of that time um, they still had you know Chris Carter for part of that time but you know the the defense the offense things started to kind of unravel a little bit even though those teams were still 
more or less competitive in a lot of those seasons, especially 2003, 4, and 5 to a degree as well. Um, but I guess the Red McCombs era defined, I think, by just when he came in, such a, such a high such a high point to come in at, and then the push that he kept making to try to get a new stadium. And he said multiple times that ultimately why he sold the team was he just could not get any traction with the stadium fight. You know, first it was Jesse Ventura as governor, and then it was Tim Pawlenty as governor. And he said, you know, basically he could not convince them that that was a priority they needed to take up. Um, you know, the Twins were ahead of them in the stadium push. The Twins eventually got their stadium built. I think that passed in 2006, and then Target Field opened in 2010. Um, Gophers football team got a new stadium before them. Finally, didn't you know, we didn't see the, the Vikings break through until, you know, maybe a decade later when U.S. Bank Stadium opened in 2016. So it would be a long wait for Red McCombs. But we should not be, be feeling sorry for Red McCombs or the McCombs estate. Uh, they bought the team for about $250 million in 1998. By the time he sold seven years later, it was more than double in value. So a pretty good investment. An owner who definitely was a fan of wore his emotions on his sleeve. I think we can appreciate that about him. He was a colorful owner, certainly. Um, you know, could have been the one that brought this franchise a Super Bowl if things had gone differently in 98 or, I suppose, in 2000 if uh, if that NFC title game there had gone quite a bit differently in New York. But I think the overriding thing was he, he kind of bridged a gap in Vikings history, got them, you know, was presiding over an era that that kind of spawned a new fandom of the Vikings and I think his enthusiasm was genuine and I don't think we should forget about that let's move on to another colorful character from Minnesota sports Jerry Kill I love this story I think it was Brian Stensis from our staff who came upon it and passed it along to me I wrote about this on Monday but Jerry Kill um, made a bet essentially or or told his uh, told his New Mexico State football players that if they got to and won a bowl game this year. Once they got to a bowl game, after a terrible start, by the way, nobody would have thought New Mexico State was going to go to a bowl game. They were off to a terrible start, um, not a good program. They had one winning season in 20 years, kill taking over. They started 0-4, got blown out by the Gophers, 38-0, got completely smashed by Wisconsin, 66-7. So they're sitting there at 0-4. But then they start to play, you know, level of competition um, a little bit more to their ability and they win six of their last eight regular season games, make it to the Quick Lane Bowl in Jerry Kill's first season as head coach. And he kind of notices that, ah, oh, man, they got another month to go in the season now that they've qualified for a bowl game. So he makes them a deal. He says, if we win this bowl game, and Jerry Kill had never won a bowl game as a, as a college coach, as accomplished as he is, I believe he was 0-5 in bowl games leading up to this season. I think three of them with the Gophers, two of them with Northern Illinois. He said, if you win this bowl game, I will get a tattoo on my arm. And long story short, they win the bowl game over, I believe, Bowling Green. And on uh, on Sunday, he paid off that debt. They they <laughs> He, he go to a de- local tattoo parlor, spent three hours getting a massive tattoo on his right arm. Um, it's got the New Mexico State logo on it. It's got bowl champs on it. It's got the dueling pistols kind of crossed. And it's got the, the year 2022. So he will never forget what uh, you know what this what this year meant because he will have a reminder always on his arm but I, I like this quote he said uh, he told this to a, a KS, KTSM uh, radio station it's a I'm sorry TV station it's a I believe that's in El Paso a reader told me um, it's it's honoring he said his quote is it's honoring a group of young men that did some things that probably nobody including their head coach 
Didn't know if they could do it, Kill said. It's a good way to honor them and a good way to remember them. Believe me, I would not have made the bet if I didn't think it was special. And that's some some folksy uh, some, some folksy speak from Jerry Kill, and uh, definitely seems like something he would do. Um, you go check out the pictures either on uh, on starttobe.com or you can find him on Twitter. Jerry Kill uh, posted pictures. New Mexico State Twitter posted pictures too. But uh, that's, that's just kind of a cool story. I like that he did that. I like that he followed through. And uh, the tattoo is probably bigger than anybody could have imagined. One more final football thought before we uh, move on to uh, the interview with Ron Hagstrom. Jonathan Gannon hired as head coach of the Cardinals a few days ago, and he spoke to Peter King, um, football morning in America, longtime Monday morning quarterback. Um, but he was, you know, Peter King talked to him a lot about the Super Bowl and some things that didn't go well there because Gannon, of course, was the defensive coordinator with the Philly with the Philadelphia Eagles before he got the Arizona job, and he was asking him about. Um, just kind of his his style and things like that. And here's the quote from from Gannon. Let's keep in mind that he was the uh, assistant defensive backs coach for the Vikings from 2014 to 2017, the first four years that Mike Zimmer was head coach. Here's his quote. One of my biggest mentors is Mike Zimmer. Is my personality the same as Mike Zimmer? No, it's not. Am I in alignment with a lot of things that he did as head coach for discipline, accountability, player player performance? You bet your bleep I am. That's not saying that's not saying like I'm a tough guy because I'm probably run this more like Nick Sariani, the, the Eagles head coach. They're completely different personality types, but I'll say this. Someone that worked around me would never say I'm soft on people. Interesting there, and before we start any, you know, rumors about Zimmer, um, he's already hired his defensive coordinator. It's uh, young Nick Rallis, twenty nine years old, and if that name is familiar, it's for good reason. Former Edina standout. Former Gophers standout as a linebacker, and he too was a Vikings assistant under Zimmer for a few years before moving on to the Eagles and coaching under uh, under uh, Gannon on Gannon's uh, defensive staff for the last couple of years as the linebackers coach. Um, with the with the Vikings, he was uh, defensive quality control coach in 2018 and 19, and uh, added assistant linebackers coach to his title in 2020. So. There you go, a, a strong Minnesota connection with the Arizona job. Two guys who um, did a lot of their defensive work under Mike Zimmer. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Zimmer has been said, Deion Sanders a few weeks ago said Zimmer's going to join him in Colorado, but it does seem like there's a pretty strong connection here as well. So I wonder if that will play out in a certain way. But long story short, Jonathan Gannon, considering uh, Mike Zimmer, one of his mentors, it'll be interesting to see how his coaching style is reflective of that this year. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, really happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Ron Hagstrom, one of our many excellent high school sports writers here at the Star Tribune. I've known Ron for many, many years. In a in a previous uh, life of mine at the Star Tribune, I was the high school sports editor. That was probably about 2007 to 2011, and I worked extensively with Ron back then. But he and uh, David Levake, Jim Paulson, just <clears throat> published uh, really, really good pieces on kind of the transfer issue at the high school level and how we're seeing a lot more of 
um, a lot more player movement, a lot more student athlete movement this year than in the past. And I wanted to have Ron on to kind of help explain the why of it. So uh, Ron, how are you? Good. And thanks for having me, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. It looks like you guys have gotten plenty of feedback already. I was just reading, I'd seen the print version, but I was reading your story online a little while ago and has like almost 500 comments on it now. So you, you, there's no shortage of opinions about player movement and there <clears throat> there never really has been. I mean, these, these are stories that we were writing, you know, 15 years ago when I was the high school sports editor, but it really sounds like things have accelerated. You used a great example of Minneapolis South boys basketball and how they basically lost their entire starting five from a team that looked like it was going to be pretty good. Um, maybe first off, do we have a sense of, you know, maybe start, let's start with some of the numbers. How much, how much more prevalent is this, especially with some of the higher profile athletes in some of the higher profile sports than in previous years? Well, Mike, like, you know, being that you were in preps too, you know, we've always had a issue with the transfers all along and, Growing up in Richfield in the 70s, it it was even going on back then. The only thing back then compared to now is you didn't want to go to a neighboring community because it was your goal to beat them as a group. Okay. And and you didn't want to join them. You wanted to beat them. Okay. And that's true. That's true. Um, Just just to clarify, too, what you know, we're, we'll talk probably more about what the Minnesota State High School League's role is in all of this. But, you know, I know you and you and Jim, I think in particular, kind of tackled the kind of the rules, the step by step. But what what is what does what is the, the state high school league's policy on transferring eligibility, stuff like that? Maybe if you can boil it down to to its essence. How, how do you transfer and become eligible to, to play at another school, whether it's right away or, or a year later? Well, the big thing you see mostly now is a lot of kids will open enroll prior to ninth grade. Okay. Because then it it's still considered a transfer, but not quote unquote, you're there prior to ninth grade, so you're eligible right away. Got it. So if you transfer after that, that would be where you could lose a year of eligibility if your family does not move into the district and stuff. But it sounds like there's definitely like, loopholes or ways that that the people end up working around this i mean some people just honestly move and they need to go to a new school and they become eligible at that school and that's that's how it should be but there are also i would imagine where where athletics become more important there are people who you know either set up certain residences in certain cities or 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 say they do um is that where we start to get in some of the problems here well the big big loophole is um families will get an apartment or something in the new community, you know, and maybe not reside there, but it's given their home address. So that would make them eligible right away. And you do have your fair share that are apartment jumping and using that as the reason for the new district. Wow. So there's like basically like having an apartment that they don't even use just to have, just to set up residence in, in that, in that uh, school district. Correct. Wow. I can imagine just like, throwing money away in an apartment, but you know, that's, that's, that's just, that's their, uh, that's their business, I guess, not mine. Well, and another thing that has come into play, Michael, and this, this isn't with every, um, every transfer, but there are some. And when I speak about cases, I'm not going to throw everybody under the same course bus yeah. or situation, but what's happened that's kind of taken away a little bit from this too, 
and I'm not going to fool anybody by saying I'm the smartest person or know everything and not a great education guy, but um, the education dynamic of it now, you always needed a 2.0 GPA to basically stay eligible. Sure. And and you no longer need that. So that takes away okay. an administrative part of that. All you got to do is be, be declared making progress towards graduation. Okay. Okay. So, and, and not something in my article, but when I was talking to different people and some that, you know, weren't even, I didn't even use in the story and stuff. I heard about a kid that stayed eligible at a school who had a 0.6 GPA, wow. but the administration said he was making progress towards graduation. Wow. So I think what's happening here, you're losing a little bit of the education dynamic, you know, of the yeah. quote unquote student athlete. Right. Well, that's fascinating. Now, how did, you know, like we said, we've, re- we've written about this various points. How did you guys get onto this story again? How did you discover that this was, you know, becoming an even bigger issue than it had been in the past? Well, I, in my season preview, talked to Ryan James, who really follows Minnesota high school basketball. Yep. And he, he had started a list during the summer of transfers and notable guys that were leaving. And um, one thing that popped up to me was all of a sudden seeing all these names from South. Minneapolis South, yeah. Yep. And then once I talked to their coach, it was all five starters that were leaving and three players off their bench. So this, this went from a team that was possible top five in the state to totally being dismantled. And then do, do we know, I mean, I think you, you spelled that out somewhat in the, in the story, but, and I'm sure every, every kid who transferred from South had a different reason or, or, you know, a lot of them probably had different reasons, but you know, when you see such wholesale changes like there, it doesn't seem like there was a problem with the program. It was just a, it's just a matter of them deciding, you know, as a group that they're going to different places. Right. Yeah. And I think a lot of this um, can be attributed a little bit to AAU basketball because they start playing with these other kids and stuff and make friendships and bonds that, you know, and start talking, Hey, maybe we should play together, you know, and figure out which school's probably the best or the one they want to be at with their buddies. And um, also a role in this, you get the trickle down from the NBA making these super teams now with having three, three or four stars on them. And leaving other teams, you know, like a Westbrook, a Durant, a right. Irving, you know, and going to form super teams. And then you throw in the transfer portal at the college ranks right. that is basically opening up an avenue to every player on that level. High school kids think they can do the same thing. Yeah, no, it's it's very true. I mean, they, a lot of this does emulate what they see at the levels above them. And if this is happening, you know, like you said, with not just, you know, not just players who are maybe like, ah, I'm not getting enough playing time here. I think maybe I could go somewhere else. If it's happening with players who are, you know, really good, then that's probably a different dynamic entirely that they are maybe deciding they want to play together instead of trying to play against each other, right? Well, and this is why I kind of looked at the story and brought it up, you know, because... I found over 50 transfers 
that averaged double figures last year at the school they were at. Just in boys so, basketball, right? Yep, just in boys basketball. So it's not like it's your marginal talent that's leaving. These are kids that have had success where they're wow. leaving from. So that creates a whole different dynamic. Now, is this, now you mentioned the NBA. Is this, a, is this something that's isolated to or exacerbated with boys basketball, or is it trickled to other, other sports, other high school sports in Minnesota, this, the idea of more transfers? Well, like you saw with Dave's story, yeah. I mean, a lot of, lot of hockey is attributed with junior, juniors when kids yeah. come back from juniors. Um, you see it in girls basketball, but not to the um, extreme this year it was with boys. Because okay. most, most of your girls, when they enter um, high school, and they develop a little earlier than boys. So most of them are there prior to ninth grade. Right. They've been playing varsity before ninth grade in a lot of cases, right? Yes. Because, um, and you, you look at like girls, for example, one of the best cases who was dominant on her traveling teams as a young age was Paige Beckers. Sure. And Paige was at St. Louis Park, but she was starting at Hopkins as an eighth grader. Right. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So she had enrolled at the school prior to that ninth grade period, too. So it already kind of established herself and become that great player even before she even got into high school efficiently, already into high school, um, you know, officially. So, um, Really interesting conversation here with Ron Hagstrom, who covers high school sports for the Star Tribune. A few more things for you, Ron. Now, I imagine, you know, the high, Minnesota State High School League, like I said, has rules about transferring. Um, but I thought an interesting quote in the story was basically they said, you know, we're, we're a governing body, not an investigative body. They're not going to go out and check different addresses generally to see, to see who really legitimately lives someplace, things like that. Is is their role in this frustrating to some coaches, or do you think they could do, do some coaches think that they could do more to combat this? I think um, they think there could be more done to combat it, and a little frustration setting in, especially with the numbers, the way it's growing. But at the same time, a lot of it comes down to the honesty of the parents when they fill out the paperwork of their kid transferring on the home address because you really don't have anything more to go on than the home address. And I know some readers and even the comments have said, well, that's something we should investigate. Well, we're not going to be able to get the home address due to privacy situations with high school kids. So it's not our area where we can really sniff it out. No, it's the kind of thing where you you're right. You're you're basically counting on the honesty of the 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 parents and the the families that are setting up these these transfers to be you know to be on the up and up with it. And I'm sure most of them are, but you're right. There's definitely some that that aren't, and those are the hard ones to kind of cut that, that are hard to kind of figure out. Um, now, where, where do you think we're where do you think we're going with this? I'm at you know it feels like college basketball, like you talked about, the transfer portal is just getting more and more like this. Do you imagine this is like, a, you know, sometimes these kids, these things can kind of be a, a one off where it's just like one year for some reason, there's an anomaly and there's a spike in it. Do you see this as something that's only going to continue to get more prevalent again, as we see more of it at the at the college level? And the, these kids see the example of kind of how these things are done. And as AAU continues to have such prominence. 
Well, here's one thing I'll, I'll say to that too, that I, I don't think kids understand when they're in the AAU situation or transferring. Um, there are still your fair share of college coaches at the next level out there yeah. who do factor in um, bringing a program to relevance that maybe wasn't and yeah. your role playing in that instead of transferring to a program that already is established and you're just playing a, a role, you, you know, and with your buddies and stuff. Um, I don't know where it goes down the road. I'm, I'm more, when I look at the state high school league, you know, as a governing body and not enforcing rules to me, that says to me, then why do you have rules? Right. You yeah, know, if, and, yeah. If you can't enforce the rules, it's kind of hard to say we have this rule. If you're not, if you're saying, yeah, we have this rule, but uh, we really don't have a good way of enforcing it. And and I don't think the high school league wants to battle with a parent or two. No. Over this question in a lawsuit either, because that costs money and gets dragged out and probably brings more of a different situation to the forefront than just transferring. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, how, I mean, it's interesting, kind of maybe we can finish up here. We talked about Minneapolis South might've been a top five team. We're getting close to state tournament time in a lot of these different sports, girls hockey coming up this weekend, this week, um, you know, boys hockey, girls basketball, boys basketball, all those coming up later on in just a few weeks. Um, you know, how some of these teams impacted by transfers one way or the other, have there been impacts that we've seen, you know, pretty dramatic swings on the court where a team that added a player or lost a player, has you know risen in prominence or or fallen or fallen in a certain way? Well, I think what you're seeing is more. I'm gonna, I'll use Park Center as an example with sure. Class Four A boys, and not that they and they haven't done anything wrong that I know of or anything. Of course, yeah. But um, all of a sudden, um, you know, they went from a state championship team a year ago, and a. a pretty good team that lost a good group of seniors and right now three of their starters are transfers okay you know so instead of maybe having a little bit of a rebuild or just you know getting their kids that came off the bench a little more experience um they became the favorite very quickly again oh interesting i think we're seeing that at college too where teams that are successful already. And like you said, Park Center, a very good team last year. When you have success, you are going to attract players like that. And I think that's always been the case, but maybe it's easier. Yeah, it's certainly easier in college for players to be mobile. And it seems like it's maybe, if not easier in uh, in high school than it ever was because the rules are the same. Maybe it is more in fashion than it ever was. Um, well, Ron, uh, for everybody out there, if you haven't read the story, I'm sure you can still find it very easily. Starttribune.com, um, pick up a pick up a copy of the Sunday paper too, if you are inclined to read in, uh, in print, uh, Ron, any, any final thoughts on this? Any more words before I let you go? No, I'm happy the way it worked out. Um, I would just basically try to present both sides and yeah. let the, let the reader, reader decide what's right and what's wrong and make their own judgment. It's refreshing. It's journalism 2023. We don't always get that, but I appreciate that from, from that story and from, and from all the, all the work you guys did. Ron Hagstrom, uh, appreciate it. Uh, good luck covering all the tournaments this year, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Mike.
Good stuff from Ron Hankstrom. It's really good to talk to him and uh, kind of catch up on one of the bigger stories in the prep sports world right now. And I got to imagine that for some of these players who leave, and you know, not all of them, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm a little torn on this because I think that people should have the right to make decisions about their lives. If, if they want to try something different, of course, they should have that opportunity. But I, I do imagine, too, that sometimes we initiate change and we find out the grass isn't always greener. And I imagine that's happening with some of these athletes at some point where they're like, ah, I know I think this this opportunity is really good. Um, I'm going to try this instead. And then it just doesn't work out. You lose some of that camaraderie. You lose some of what you had built. And I'm sure that's happening at a certain point with all of these transfers. So I would, just, I would imagine that there might be kind of the, the counter the counterweight to that at some point where we hear enough cautionary tales that's like, ah, is it really worth it to change? Is it really worth it to do that? Should we kind of stay the course with this good thing we've got going? I think there's some element of that that probably will take hold at some point here in the future as well. Let's finish with the cooler. A couple quick things here. Uh, Patrick Beverly. A lot of Wolves fans had been hoping that Beverly might get reunited with the Wolves in the buyout market. That is not happening. He is instead going to the Bulls. Um, good for Patrick Beverly. It's a team he's always wanted to play for. It's a, you know, a, a dream come true for him. He talked about it like a decade ago. He is a Chicago native. And so I imagine that's pretty special for him as well. So Patrick Beverly to the Bulls, no reunion with the Timberwolves. And I don't know, maybe that just didn't make sense this year. It felt like it did at a certain point, but maybe they've turned things around enough to the point now where that didn't make sense in any event. Makes sense for the Bulls and Beverly. So that is where he is headed Gophers men's basketball team. Let's finish there. Um, good news was that uh, Jamison Battle finally looked like his former self. 31 points last night against Illinois. Um, Dawson Garcia had 18. The bad news, they're just not getting nearly enough from their backcourt. I think they're at Marcus Fuller's game story, their starting backcourt had like nine points in, in this game. They lose 78-69 to Illinois. Not a bad effort by any stretch. That's a road game against a, a probable NCAA tournament team. But you just look at this, and the Gophers are now 1-14 and 14 in the Big Ten, 7-18 and 18 overall. And, you know, aside from the good news of reemergence from battle, you just don't see a lot here right now that you can say this is the identity of the team um, until they get some more from the backcourt, until they get more, you know, consistent offense that doesn't need to run through, you know, battle or, you know, or Pharrell Payne or somebody else down low. Until that happens, this just isn't going to be a team that's going to go anywhere. So I need uh, I need to see more from the backcourt going forward and see what they have there before I'm going to think there's any chance of a real turnaround here under Ben Johnson. That'll do it for today. Like I said, Andrew Kramer coming up on Wednesday's show. It should be a lot of good Vikings talk. Some interesting offseason news there. And I also want to pick Andrew's brain on the Brian Flores hire. I don't believe I've talked to him since that happened. Just kind of see what he thinks of that and see what it might mean for some of the Vikings' most senior members of the defense. Until then, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Get those shovels out, get those snowblowers out, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.